Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase, so we have gotten uh, Paul all the way back to Jerusalem. We've seen his march to Jerusalem in the last couple of chapters of Acts. We're going to be picking up in Acts 21, verse 17, and it's been rather ominous leading up to this. Paul doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to him, but the Spirit's been telling him in every city that uh, affliction and imprisonment awaits him. So it's kind of a tense time here uh, when he gets back to Jerusalem, but we're going to see this really is going to begin the last uh, leg of the book of Acts. Yeah, and um, of course the brethren, they understood just how much uh, risk there was with Paul going into Jerusalem, with uh, Agabus coming in and and giving us that very vivid picture of what's going to happen to Paul, kind of hogtying himself and saying, this is what's going to happen to you, Paul, if you go down to Jerusalem. But uh, we see the attitude of the brethren when Paul insists, and they say, the will of the Lord be done. And so in verse 15 and 16 of 21, they start off into Jerusalem. They start their way there. And so we're going to pick up in Acts 21 in verse 17, and I'll read verses 17 through 26. And uh, as we see Paul get to Jerusalem, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrifice to idols, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. So this is kind of an interesting first encounter. Um, Paul, as they've often done with the other journeys they've taken, they report back to the brothers and uh, they go in and, and James is there. Again, this would very likely be the physical brother or I guess half brother of Jesus. One of the prominent men, we saw him speak up and give the final word of scripture back in Acts chapter 15, when there was the question about the Gentiles having to become Jews. Um, we see the elders are there. And so he just lays out, look at what God is continuing to do among the Gentiles through his ministry and they're glorifying God. But then they're going to bring up kind of a, a touchy question. It appears that Paul's name has been slandered 
in Jerusalem, as he's been out among the Gentiles, he's teaching both Jews and Gentiles. But apparently there's this rumor that's been going around in Jerusalem that Paul, because there's been this whole question about, well, the Gentiles do not have to become Jews. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep the law. But the rumor is that Paul has been telling Jews that same thing. He's been telling the Jews to stop being Jews and to stop keeping the law and forsake the custom of Moses. And that's not what the Jews were doing. And by the way, this is just something that for a long time, like I, I don't think I had clear in my head kind of what was happening in the early church. Cause I always pictured that like, okay, here's a Jew. They've grown up hearing the law, but then they hear about Jesus and how he's fulfilled the law. And so they're like, Oh, cool. Uh, Jesus has died. He's the final sacrifice. I don't need any of the law stuff anymore. So I'm going to go order me a BLT. I'm going to, uh, you know, start working uh, on Saturday. I'm going to start, you know, uh, and they just like dropped the law right where it was and didn't do any of that anymore. But that's not what's happening. Uh, and we're actually going to see Paul here participate in the rituals of the law, go and pay for these guys' sacrifices, help them finish their vow. And that's not something that was in my mind for a long time. That the Jews yeah. didn't stop being Jews when they became Christians. Yeah. And so in a very wise way, the elders encourage Paul, like you just said, to go and participate in what is likely the, the Nazarite vow, um, some type of Jewish custom, nonetheless, that they want Paul to go and participate in uh, to kind of show his Jewness, uh, to kind of show, yeah, look, I, I still agree. And I still, I still uh, agree with the customs that the law of Moses has in place for us as, as traditional Jews. Um, and what this was really going to do for Paul is reestablish some of his credibility with the Jewish brethren, um, which is obviously so important as Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ at this point, it'd be important that they trust him. Um, because as we well know, Paul writes to a lot of these different Jews in these different churches, um, and he, he needs to have good credibility among them. And so there's this vow that he takes with these other uh, four young men, um, where they would, of course, um, they uh, w would have their hair cut, um, and they would purify themselves and have this sacrifice that was going. Um, and so Paul goes along with this um, to just maintain his credibility amongst the, the Jewish Christians. And so I think you see a lot of humility out of Paul in that. Uh, it's not something he had to do um, necessarily, but he does want to continue to have a good relationship with the Jewish brethren. And so he goes ahead and agrees to do this. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing I love to point out here is just that Paul could have easily said, there's nothing true about that rumor. <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. Um, I'm not telling the Jews to stop being Jews. I'm only telling the Gentiles that they don't have to do this stuff in order to be saved because that's what these Judaizing teachers have been teaching. And he could have just blown it off and say like, that's ridiculous. But I appreciate that Paul is willing to go the extra mile. I mean, that's what Jesus taught us, right? It is to whatever we can do to be at peace with all men, like let's, let's do that. And Paul is willing to, at his own expense, you know, help, take care of these men, support them in what they're doing with the Jewish traditions. And that is just such a great example for us when there's a question of maybe it's our own reputation or, well, do I have to, you know, do, is it required? Is it a sin not to? 
oh, there's a lot of times where that's not the right question to ask. The right question is, well, how can I serve the Lord and how can I serve my brethren? And these brethren in Judea, um, it was just a way to serve them. This is a way to help them and honor them. And I just appreciate how Paul does this here. Uh, it's a great example for us. There's a really cool connection in first Corinthians nine, when Paul's encouraging the brethren there on how, how they can be at peace with one another. Um, he uses himself as an example. And in verse 19 of that chapter, he says, though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jew, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. Basically, what Paul is saying in the section is to the Jews, I'm, I'm a Jew. I, I go with the custom so that I can win more souls in that area and they can trust me. And the same was true with the Gentiles. And it's not that he was compromising his relationship with Christ in either of those situations, but he was doing them, as we'll say, for the sake of the gospel, so he could be a fellow partaker of it. And that's an example we need to follow in as well. Sometimes we will have to go the extra mile with our brother or sister um, in order to maintain that relationship with them. And we need to be willing to do so. Uh, don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. Um, even if you are technically right, you can be technically wrong in your approach to clearing up your brother or sister's conscience in regard to you. Um, and so Paul's humility here is something I think we need to carry over into our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes. Amen. That's a great connection to make. Well, let's see what happens here. Uh, this is really what brings Paul to the temple, and that's going to become significant here in just a second. Let's continue reading Acts 21. We'll read verses 27 down through verse 39. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and set and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, from, uh, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And we'll see what he says here in just a minute. Yeah, this is a... Uh, interesting turn of events. And what Stephen just read for us is really going to be the focus of 
the rest of the book of Acts. Um, what Paul is going through right now uh, will be the focus of several trials and several things that Paul's going to go through on what will ultimately be a march to Rome uh, that we know he wants to go to. And so it's when the seven days of this vow are almost over, uh, we learn that the Jews from Asia come and they see Paul in the temple and they start to stir up the crowds and lay hands on him. And their accusation against him is, is that he has brought a Greek into the temple and defiled the holy place. Um, now, this is something we know uh, very clearly from the old law. Not just anybody could walk up into the temple. Uh, th this was obviously something you had to be clean for. Anyone who's not a Jew is automatically considered unclean. A Greek cannot just walk into the temple. And so their accusation is Paul has defiled this entire place by bringing this person in. And Luke tells us in verse 29 that they had seen Paul with Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city. And so they just supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Uh, th there was no truth to it whatsoever. It was pure speculation. Um, and we see that these Jews all the way from Asia were simply just wanting to throw something against Paul to get him in trouble. Yeah, I mean, Paul's faced uh, persecution almost everywhere he's been. And these Jews from Asia who, I mean, remember the, the riot in Ephesus. Um, there's a lot of people from Asia mad at Paul. And one helpful note here is that going into the temple doesn't mean like literally into the holy place or the most holy place or something like that. Obviously only the priests even could do that. But the temple was this huge complex. I wish we could share a picture on the podcast here, but um, you can look up artist renditions of this. And as you're in the, the various courtyards of the temple, there was a low wall that they've actually discovered like historically uh, signs that were around this low fence basically. And it basically says any Gentiles who cross this fence do so at the cost of their own life. <laughs> and because they had seen Trophimus with Paul in the city, they thought, well, he's been with a Gentile and now Paul's in the temple. So he must've brought the Gentile into the temple. And again, it's just, there's nothing to these accusations. The crowd doesn't care. Because, I mean, if Paul had brought a Gentile in there, it would have defiled the temple itself. It would have been a terrible thing. But Paul doesn't get a chance really to defend himself here. It's just once the accusation is thrown out, uh, the, the mob gets going. And so uh, there is a Roman barracks, kind of a tower, uh, that is attached to the temple complex in case there was some kind of uprising. And that's what this looks like. So soldiers run out, they uh, try to figure out what's going on. They arrest Paul, bind him with chains, but they can't even get the story straight because people are just shouting and they have to actually carry him up to the barracks because the crowd is just trying. They're so riled up and ready to just kill him on the spot. And so he's brought in and this is where Paul's uh, multilingual ability is going to uh, really come out as a, an advantage he's able to speak greek to the roman and the, the romans thought he was yet someone else they're like aren't are, are you not the egyptian who let out the, these four thousand men into the wilderness uh, kind of another interesting side story but he's like no i'm not uh i'm from i'm a jew i'm from uh, tarsus please let me speak to the people. And again, this reminds me of Ephesus. We're like, there's a crowd outside who wants to kill you. And Paul is like, 
please let me talk to him. Now, granted, he now has some protection from the crowd so he can more safely address them. But uh, you got to love Paul, man. I mean, he's just been beaten and arrested. And he's like, please just, just let me, let me talk to him. Uh, that is Paul. That is uh, his courage. Yes, absolutely. And we'll see that several more times. It doesn't matter who he, who he's addressing. He wants to have something to say. Um, he wants to be able to, to, you know, speak his mind about everything that's happened because it's an opportunity for him to, to share his story, to share his testimony and um, to, to share it with those who might be inspired by his story. And so that, that brings us really into verse 40 of 21. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 40 and go into chapter 22 and I'll read down verse 21 of chapter 22. I'm going to follow along with me starting in 2140. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus. And there you will be told of all that he has been appointed for you to do. For since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that last word is going to be a trigger yeah, we'll for the crowd. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. 
Um, so here, Paul, he, he stands up, um, takes, seizes the opportunity. That's a theme I like to point out in the book of Acts. Seizes the opportunity to address the crowd. And he starts off by telling them a little bit about himself. Um, I think it would be fair to say that at least some of them might have known the background of Paul. He was quite famous back when he was a Pharisee persecuting the church. And he tells them he was a Jew um, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. So he is a Roman citizen. And he says that he was educated under a man named Gamaliel. Now, Stephen, we've heard about Gamaliel before, haven't we? That was back in chapter five when they had arrested the apostles twice because they'd been freed. Um, and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And Gamaliel was the one who said, hey, you guys remember Judas and Thutis? Uh, you know, they started religious uprisings that came to nothing when those men were killed. If this is from God or if it's not from God, it's going to come to nothing. If it is from God, you do not want to be fighting against God. So be careful what you do here. So they beat the apostles and let them go. But it's interesting here that this is the same guy that taught Paul. Yeah, that's right. So somebody who was even better well-known than Paul was even when he was a Pharisee. Paul trained under him. And so it's safe to say, as he says in verse 3, it was strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as you all are today. Um, so he starts with some common ground. Uh, there's no doubt that these people are zealous, a lot, have a lot of zeal for the Lord. But of course, it's targeted in the wrong way. Uh, Paul, Paul talks about the fact that he used to persecute this way. There's that, that way term for Christians again, to the point of death. Uh, we read about how awful Paul was and how he ravaged the church back in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Um, and so he tells them, you know, this is something I used to do. And then he starts to recap his story of his conversion. Um, he starts off, of course, by telling us that he had went down to Damascus for the purpose of persecuting the Christians there. He had received letters to go and arrest people who were following the way. And of course, that's when he starts to get into the story of the road to Damascus that we read back in chapter nine, several episodes ago now. Um, yeah. And Stephen, are there any differences between the story in chapter nine and how Paul retells it here? Yeah, there's going to be three times in the book of Acts that we read about the conversion of Saul. Uh, obviously, Acts chapter 9 is the initial recording of the events. Paul retells it here in Acts 22. He retells it one more time in a different context in Acts 26. And it's just interesting when you compare the different accounts, there's no contradictions, but different ones of them give different levels of detail and like what's said. Well yeah, or highlight specific areas of it uh, or specific parts of it. They'll highlight it in a different way. Right. And one thing that's really powerful in this particular one that I think is, is really helpful is if we were to ask the question, well, when was Saul, Paul, when, when was he saved? Because um, you, you can go back and read Acts chapter 9 and kind of walk through that whole account. And clearly at the beginning of the chapter, you know, he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples. He, he's, a, he's a lost man. And by the end of the chapter, he's proclaiming the gospel in Damascus boldly. You know, like, okay, like, yeah. wh where was he saved? Where was he forgiven of his sins? And there's some extra detail in chapter 22 in this account, as Paul's telling it, that one of the things Ananias says to him specifically in verse 16, they'll say, now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. 
calling on his name. And that's just really helpful to see that the point of Saul's forgiveness is, is given in this chapter. Again, Paul had been praying for three days in, uh, uh, in Damascus. And if there's anybody who could have prayed a sinner's prayer during that time, I mean, he's seen Jesus on the road. Um, but he still has sins that need to be forgiven. And uh, that's what Ananias tells him to do. Don't wait any longer, you know, immediately. And of course, that's what we see Paul do in all of the accounts as he immediately is baptized. And um, that's just a helpful thing as we compare these accounts and ask questions like that. Uh, this is where we can, can nail that down. Yeah. And um, I think it's also helpful there. I think there's a lot of mysterious and a lot of different things out there about what it means to call on the name of the Lord. Um, this is a really helpful place to, to see that there obviously is a uh, connection with calling on the name of the Lord and baptism, uh, going to the Lord and, and asking, you know, for his forgiveness and receiving that through baptism. Um, so I just think that's helpful to see there in verse 16. Um, and there were things that Paul needed to do. Uh, of course, that does not mean he was saved by his own personal works. I don't think that's what that means at all. But there was a way he needed to respond to the grace of the Lord. Uh, there were things that he specifically had to go do in order to be forgiven. And again, that doesn't mean that Paul was saving himself. It was the Lord doing the saving, but there were conditions for him to meet. Um, and so I just like to point that out in this section. It's very clear because in verse 10, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? You know, he understood there was something yeah. he needed to do uh, because of all the horrible things he had done in the past. Yeah, that's right. And again, it's incredible that God forgave him. That, that after all that he had done, uh, he says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Um, we serve such a merciful God who can even forgive one who is such an opponent as Paul. And all, all this is not Paul's main point. He records that in the details here. Um, he says that. This is what Luke's recording for us. But really his point, I think, is to try to tell the crowd who he is where he's been and what he's been doing as he's been out here among the Gentiles. And again, he, he records another vision that he received that I don't think we see this earlier in verse 17 through 21. He talks about a vision that the Lord gave him when he had returned to Jerusalem and he's telling, all right, get out of town. And um, he says, listen, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. And, he never gets to explain the rest of the story <laughs> um, because uh, that's what had caused this great riot basically in the temple complex. And uh, when Paul even introduces the idea that the Lord would send him to the Gentiles, that's the end of that <laughs> really yeah. leads us to this last section. And just remember why Paul is in this situation in the first place that they're accusing him of bringing a Gentile into the temple uh, like Stephen said, uh, spending time with the Gentiles is obviously something Paul is big on. And so he's trying to explain, logically get to why he is spending time with the Gentiles the way that he is. He's trying to tell his story and say, you know, this is something that God directly put me in charge of. This is something that the Lord is guiding me in. He's simply trying to explain himself and they don't want to hear it. You know, they're kind of like, oh yeah, sure. God told you to go spend time with the Gentiles, whatever, man. And so Stephen, you can go ahead and pick up in verse 22, where we'll see their response once they hear that word Gentile. Yeah, picking up uh, Acts 22, beginning in verse 22. 
Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is a scary moment for the, those uh, who had arrested Paul. They, uh, again... And a scary, the word, moment, scary moment for Paul, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, he, uh, once he says the word Gentiles, they're like, okay, that's it. And uh, they are even throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. I mean, this is just a, a raving mob of people who want Paul dead now. And so they're like, okay, clearly Paul has not given us the whole story. And so he's like, let's beat him. You know, maybe he'll, he'll talk yeah. if uh, we stretch him out and whip him. Yeah, so that, that's exactly what they start the process for, at least, is they, they tie him up, stretch him out with thongs in verse 25. Um, so they've got him all tied up, ready for the scourging. And Paul very wisely says, hey, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Uh, you know, look, our law, our, our country uh, has laws. You can't just start openly beating someone that A, is a Roman citizen, and B, hasn't been condemned of anything. Paul hasn't been through a single court hearing to this point. You can't just do that. And so Paul, Paul does appeal to his Roman citizenship to stop the beating. And of course, the centurions immediately stop um, when they find out that he's a Roman. You see, they could get in a lot of trouble uh, for doing this kind of thing. Uh, th there was law and order in that day, even though it appeared that there wasn't. There was some law and order, and they couldn't just start beating anybody that they wanted to, especially if they were a Roman citizen. These centurions and commanders could get in a lot of trouble for that. But of course, most of these Jews, I guess, are, are not Roman citizens. And so the commander's like, well, how is this even possible? How, how did you even get this Roman citizenship? Uh, he says, I, I had to acquire this by a large sum of money. And Paul, of course, he says, well, I was born a citizen. And uh, much like I did not pay for American citizenship. Uh, there are some people who have to pay a lot of money to go through that process. But I was born in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, so in the, in the state of Kentucky, which is in the country of the United States. So I was born a citizen there. And similarly, Paul was born in one of the countries that Rome ruled. And so he would have been a natural born citizen. And so they immediately stop uh, when they find out he's a Roman citizen. And um, they thankfully, uh, at this point, stop beating Paul, or don't beat him at all, uh, because of this. And I just think it's important to see that that Paul had a right as a Roman citizen, and he does appeal to it. He, he's very wise in using that. Right. And I think that we see it, Paul, 
he's not afraid of being beaten for the cause of Christ. I mean, he's been beaten so many other times. He's been yeah, stoned. It was almost stoned, yeah. And well, he was. I mean, like they, they thought he was, was dead, took him up. And here, this is not out of fear or out of, you know, just trying to, to recant Christ or something. No, I mean, he's like, this is not right. Uh, if you have legal recourse to not suffer, there's no reason to suffer needlessly. And so I appreciate that, that Paul is not just trying to get beaten a whole lot. When there's an opportunity to escape persecution, he can, he'll, he'll take that um, as long as it's not hurting the cause of the gospel. And so I just appreciate there's a balance here that Paul is bold, he's courageous, he's willing to suffer, but he's not just going to sit there and take it if they're doing something against the law to him. And so he does use his Roman citizenship uh, for that here. And so this really leaves us, uh, we'll, we'll stop here for this week. Um, he's going to now begin kind of the trial process that will take him all the way to Rome. And yeah. uh, we'll see him standing before different kings and authorities. And this is exactly what he was told uh, from the beginning, is uh, you're going to take my name to the Jews and the Gentiles and before kings and authorities. And the book of Acts is going to show us just that. And it's this arrest in Jerusalem that begins the whole process. That's right. And so just like Jesus, of course, starts with the kind of Jewish courts, um, Paul will as well. We'll pick up in that story, Lord willing, next week as we uh, finish the very last verse of 22 and get into 23 and see Paul before this Jewish council. Yeah. If you guys are enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, we would uh, be very grateful if you would subscribe, uh, leave a rating or a review. And if you have more questions, we'd love to reach out to you personally or have you reach out to us. Um, 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com, or for more information, see capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.